listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you may have noticed Google smoked out the internet last week with its announcement on the digital user identifiers it will allow and use after the third-party cookie apocalypse lands on Chrome browsers in 2022. And that was on top of the chaos, concern and contingencies that the marketing supply chain has already been juggling for more than a year around the end of cookies. Beyond that, you're probably not going to want to hear it, but the end of cookies is really only the curtain raiser for broader digital marketing and transformation. There is regulatory change coming for almost everything digital marketers touch, and I mean everything. So today we have a frighteningly informed and intelligent panel lineup to unpack these critical developments and what some brands are already doing to prepare for the end and a beginning. So welcome Sala Fernando, Head of Regulatory and Advocacy at Admar, Alexander Meyer, CMO at The Iconic, and Paul Bailey, General Manager of Digital Strategy and Transformation at Tourism Australia. Both Tourism Australia and The Iconic are Admar Advisory Board members. So welcome to you all. To Sala first, let's get into this because it's meaty and uh, fascinating. Before we get to how The Iconic and Tourism Australia are managing for a post-cookie world, this whole theme, this whole cookies theme, uh, Sala, has lit up Admar's member base of marketers, I think, when we were talking earlier. It's on everyone's lips and minds. So just very quickly, what's the sentiment among Admar marketers you're talking to and what are they saying? Are they concerned and worried? Thanks, Paul. I actually find it quite interesting that at this point in time when um, there's so much happening in the regulatory space, no matter who you are, like whether you're a small business or whether you are a large business that's a lot more um, skilled and expert in this area, when we go out and talk to our members, what we find is that with all these inquiries that are happening, all these in audits and stuff that are going on in the regulatory space, we actually find that people are most concerned about cookies and the fact that it's coming. Like the fact that Google is, um, the deprecation of Google cookies is coming next year and it seems to be the thing of most concern, even though it has been a topic of conversation for the last five years. The regulatory conversation has been for five years, but no one's registering as more cookies. It's actually interesting because there's a lot of regulatory activity happening out there, but cookies is not necessarily the product. The deprecation of cookies is not necessarily the product of a code change or a legislation change. It's actually Google just now saying we're going to be doing it next year. Yeah, just a trillion dollar company saying we're going to do something and you do what you're told, <laughs> Absolutely. really. Absolutely. But what, what, the, what that's done is it's actually made people look at all the regulatory change that's happening and take a step back and say, okay, well, cookies is happening. And even though it, it in itself is not regulatory, it has made the focus on all the other activity that the government's doing a topic of... of well, it's what we talked about. It's like a Trojan horse, right, for, you know, the cookies is a Trojan horse for regulatory awareness. Yeah. Um, where are... So there's a lot of awareness about cookies, and we're going to get to this, and uh, we'll get into the into the detail very shortly, but in terms of do people understand, do your members, does the, do marketers understand that there's some regulatory stuff coming that will actually potentially change their, their the way they do business full stop? Is that... Is, am I being dramatic? I no. think... Uh, <laughs> well, I think... Initially, um, the focus isn't looking at regulatory because they stop. They stop and they look at cookies and they stop and they start to wonder where do we have to go next. And what that does then is, when they're looking at that broader picture, 
they start to analyse the situation and understand, hang on, there's change with cookies, but there's also change coming with the whole ad tech um, transparency and there's also change happening over here on this side with privacy. Right. So it becomes a very big regulatory conversation. So, Alexandra, I might start with you because we've, we've got the sort of both the cookie scenario happening and the regulatory scenario. You, I think, have been, uh, the iconic, have been sort of all over the cookie stuff for a while. Just give us a sense of um, when did you realise that the cookie apocalypse, as I like to call it, because it's just dramatic and, you know, we like colour, but when did you when did it register for you that we have some real challenges or an issue, or some things to deal with here? Was it a year ago, two years ago? What was the flip of the switch? Well, I would say that the topic of cookie under the umbrella of privacy at large uh, became a topic maybe about two years ago. Okay. But a lot of the things that we're doing to combat the potential challenge were already started maybe four years ago. Right. And the reason for that was that we had the feeling as a business that has been uh, going through a large hypergrowth time that we're too overly dependent on one type of marketing and that we're too overly dependent on two platforms. And that just didn't feel right when looking at immaturity in our business that was that we were approaching. And so naturally we realized we need to do more full funnel marketing. We need to do uh, marketing as per a real marketing strategy and not just follow a digital uh, technical shiny t- toy type of marketing. So let's just start. can I break that down, Alexander? So when you talked about one type of marketing and two platforms, I can guess the two platforms, but the one type of marketing was what? And at what point, or that was Iconic four years ago, you say, how big was Iconic then? What were your revenues? How mature were you then? Well, at the end of the day, the, a company like the Iconic being an online pure player from a marketing point of view was really successful as many others in this space by harvesting purchase intent. Right. So you have people showing signals online that they're looking for a dress or a shoe and you capture them where they are doing that, which is in search um, or subsequently then in social where they may be open to interact with uh, social ads that could be very targeted. So uh, digital marketing from a performance point of view, programmatic media buying in essence was really what uh, garnered the, or, 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 or allowed for a lot of the success of, of a company like ours. Right. So it worked, right? It worked. Yeah, it worked. It, yeah. it really worked well. And it, it worked to the point where uh, I would say a lot of businesses that were built on this uh, became quickly quite lazy or never really applied a full funnel marketing uh, approach on the back of a proper marketing strategy or a brand positioning approach right. in essence. And we realized that, you know, going really mainstream as a business, um, it's not enough to harvest purchase intent uh, based on signals from people, but you actually have to develop audiences. You cannot only rely on acquisition of new customers that show signals. You actually really need to reactivate customers at some point that maybe haven't shopped with you anymore because the the, the experience wasn't that good at, uh, yet. Or you have to actually uh, work on your existing customers and keep them engaged and inform them about new products and so on and so forth also further up in the funnel. Right. And so the journey for us to go about a full funnel marketing strategy in a, in a, in a strategic way with a lot of creative uh, work behind it, which is one of the fundaments of combating the risks that we're seeing now has started a lot earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, so what, three, do you say two, three years ago, did you say? Well, I would say we started that journey about four years ago, four years ago and, the, and the cookie topic and then subsequently... Uh, all that um, Apple and Firefox really having setting the pace on the on the privacy topic 
uh, with ITP and the IDFA topic, uh, that has really started being a topic for us specifically about two years, one and a half years ago, maybe. Uh, and and what we've done, and I actually have the examples here with me, um, we, we wrote strategic memos about it. So the way we go about business challenges at the Iconic is we write memos, something that Jeff Bezos at Amazon has been yes, known right. for uh, doing. And so we would say, okay, ITP and its impact on the Iconic, Apple IDFA impact, on the iconic business impact of Google's and Facebook's response. Can you CC me on them after this podcast, please? I'd like to read those. I might learn something. Probably not, but uh, we can talk about <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> no, but um, so so we, we look at it like as with any other business challenge to look at it from different angles and see, okay, what are the problems uh, that, w- that we might face, how do we deal with them, what what do we already have in place? Before we get to the cookie subject, then you were saying that you were getting your sort of almost like your first-party data strategy right, your customer, your, the whole much broader business strategy right and cookies came in underneath a, a broader data strategy. Would that be fair or something not right? Well, yes and no, meaning the first-party data strategy came in place for us as a necessity even before the cookie topic. Right. Um, and uh, what I would say is I think it's very important to understand the cookie topic as a topic under the privacy umbrella that has become a mainstream topic. Right. And it is that probably also is a reason why it has become a regulatory topic all of a sudden uh, and quite, quite uh, uh, you know, uh, intensely. Yes. Um, but but the, the, the point here is that you have the Internet. It is for free. Nothing runs for free, so the people become the product and people are annoyed about it. And so we run, ran into an issue uh, in the development of how the Internet has been utilized by platforms such as Google and Facebook. Um, uh, and on the back of missing regulation, but also on the lack of understanding of people that nothing goes for free, that we're running into a, a point where people have become products, uh, uh, you know, philosophically speaking, uh, but you need ads to um, make this fun and engaging, but you also need ads to finance mm. platforms and internet for free services. And so I think the challenge that has happened is because there was no regulation, the shiny toy of the ads has become too spammy, has become too uh, uh, unreasonable. And so it's really this privacy umbrella that is now trying to be tackled well. And the cookie topic is one of them. Uh, 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 as the ITP topic uh, with, with you know, Safari and Apple has been the IDFA topic and tracking of devices uh, has been. And I think Apple and Firefox as a point of differentiation have been leading the pace on, on going about this journey. Mm. And, uh, well, they I have less to lose than, say, Google or Facebook because there's less, less ad reliance, right? Yes, and so, so for them it was an easy one to, to tap into, but I think they've also seen the sign of... Uh, 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 you know, early signs of how people react to it. Yes. And, and it, it is inevitable that we're entering this space of uh, privacy becoming a recognized topic where the people themselves have more control over their data in essence. How significant was Cookies and how you had to change your business? I know you're already on, you said, you know, you're underway, you did a strategic overhaul, but the role that Cookies played and plays what are you going to replace it with? What does your strategy look like? So there are a couple of things. First of all, our full funnel strategy that puts a lot more um, uh, effort also on non-paid performance marketing and, uh, uh, you know, differentiating creative on the back of a good strategy is one key topic in all of this. Another one is really the, um, on the back of this also, the understanding of how free and owned channels 
are uh, very important versus paid performance. So it's in this shiny toy reality that was handed to digital marketeers for such a long time. I think a lot of uh, digital businesses have underestimated uh, the importance of free and own channels and how to engage with, with uh, customers well. So we have a very uh, deep uh, worked out CRM strategy in place now for the last two and a half, three years. Uh, and that will be further important as well. Um, one of the one of the things that will become important um, or, or has been important for us, even independent of the cookie topic, as you mentioned it, the first party data strategy. So we really looked at a single customer view strategy about three and a half years ago and have integrated with the customer data platform to be able to even work and understand our first party data. Right. So even though we were an online pure player, and like a lot of businesses, they have a lot of data, but they don't know what to do with it. So how do you turn big data into smart data, even with the data that you have? Why should we work with cookies and third-party data if we can't even utilize our data well right, right. to optimize the customer experience on the platform, as an example? So we integrated with the customer data platform that allowed marketeers all of a sudden, through drag-and-drop visualization tools, to understand segments and cohorts that uh, uh, correlate in their behavior with each other or, or that show similar patterns in their behavior um, and then can activate into uh, data, uh, sorry, into marketing platforms through that customer data platform. Uh, that has been uh, really crucial for us. And so I think the one, the one, the biggest interesting question for us in this journey right now is to understand what will happen to the value of first party data. So in essence, the way we understand the cookie changes to come is, and and and, and Google and, and Apple always talk about the sandbox uh, topics, topic where it's this safe space for people to know that data is uh, being uh, utilized only in a safe space. So it's not any more a targeted approach that is possible one-on-one, -on -one, but only micro segments up to 50 people in this micro segment. And so in this sandbox approach, the big question is, can we utilize first-party data in a way that we can wash it with Facebook in their walled garden and then they can still target well for us? Or will that also not be possible in the future? Mm. So the assumption, That's an unanswered question at the moment. It's an unanswered question at the moment. Yeah. And so right now, first-party data strategies work well because you can say, okay, we have all this data and we wash it now with another walled garden and they can then target on our behalf, we never have access to it, we cannot target like that, but they can for us. Mm. Is that still possible or not in a world for, where from a regulatory point of view, the um, privacy matter has become so important that governments will not even allow for that, for example. So I just want to, so, and we'll come to Paul in a second, and, and it's a great question. And Sala, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of, because I mean, Google's probably trying to get everyone to go through their ads hub uh, scenario. So there's sort of some interesting strate uh, strategic uh, posturing going on there in terms of what you can and can't do. But regu regulatory-wise, is there anything there that you it sort of flashes on your radar? Well, I think it's quite interesting that we're actually looking at privacy in a different way. I think Alex is right when he was saying that they've all labelled it privacy, but it really is a change in tactics and a change in privacy. So it's privacy of the individual um, against now being in these cohorts and and now in some way without really wanting to use the wrong word, but it's like a profile. Um, and the question there starts to be a different concern. Yes, peep, individuals will be possibly feeling safer, 
But at the same time, it's like the minute they turn up to a website, it's like a confessional of where they've been before, which kind of follows them and then puts them into a group. So I think from a regulatory point of view, it's very interesting and how Australia's going to kind of move towards considering all of that and the way that the actual consumer, because you can't lose consumer trust. At the end of the day, all marketers, um, all marketers need that consumer trust. And that can't that can't be jeopardized in any way. Yeah, yeah. and so and so the the I guess the question is when in the future people have to opt out or in and and, mm. and, and that is a, a force that they have to go through, so to speak. And they opted out to not be targeted directly. What does that then mean for the first party data going into another walled garden? Yes. Is the opt out in the direct term also uh, relevant for? a generic opt-out that has to be considered from first-party data being used in a world garden. Yeah. That is something that will be very interesting to see and what value is privacy of the individual given versus privacy of the group and how does that apply for these? And also, how do you avoid, how do you give notice that is meaningful yeah. but also avoid consent fatigue? Because yeah, 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 that's yeah. something that, especially mm. in the kind of environment where we're now asking people for consent because they don't have, that. there's no attention span, so to speak, in the, in that digital space. You don't have much time to get your message across. Are people really going to um, want to have to consent and stop and think a lot more about their activities? I want to get back to the regular stuff in a minute, but I also have got to get to um, to Paul Bailey from Tourism Australia, who, uh, funnily enough, just happens to be beaming in from Northern Territory in Darwin right now. So uh, welcome, Paul, and um, it's a fabulous shot that I'm seeing here uh, on the screen. Um, what about Tourism Australia and, and, and what you've been doing? It must be, you know, I, I think about what you guys do uh, here and globally, and it must be a nightmare given you're across multiple inter- international markets to manage the cookie thing. But this bit the same, the same as what I asked Alexander, when did the burnt cookie scenario really bite for you at Tourism Australia? And what's been your sort of the, the overarching thinking and strategy here to deal with it? So for us, I think the, the beginning was was probably four years ago during during the digital transformation project that TA went on with, with, with bringing on a new tech vendor and, and solidifying um, the technology that underpins all the websites. Um, and at the, the same time, the, the business started to try and understand what are we doing with audiences and, and, and how are we building them, using them in media and driving, driving to, to the websites um, in various different countries. At the same time, GDPR came out. Um, and uh, GDPR, because um, we advertise in Europe, kind of set the standard for us on how we have to create transparency in, in what we're doing with, with cookies. Uh, what we found was um, we still use the word cookies, which which doesn't create any more transparency. Um, it's consumers don't don't understand the term cookie as we do um, as, as digital natives. So, so that that is a challenge that I think we as an industry never never really solved over the last um, what ten years um, or, or, or longer with, with what we mean by cookies and tracking. I mean that value exchange. Um, what you get for for giving consent, I think, as a, as an industry, we still need to solve for, and I think it's one that I w- would like to see how Australia is going to solve for it, and how much different that is from GDPR or California State Code. Um, so, being being an international brand and having to worry about this, we we set GDPR as our compliance um, platform. So that was the minimum 
we, we needed to comply to, which is probably the highest uh, for, for someone like Australia, because um, we didn't have that code of conduct yet. Uh, the, the challenges are a little bit different to Alex's. We didn't have a lot of first party data. Um, and, and that 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 is what we focused on over the last two years. Um, when we turned from digital transformation to customer experience strategy, our focus is now understanding that value exchange. We want audiences on the website. And just to be clear there, Paul, that was an organized move from digital strategy to customer experience. That was an organizational-wide board-endorsed sort of uh, new strategy that, that Tourism Australia took on, correct? That's correct. Um, and and it's, it's a big change because we do, when we say digital strategy or digital transformation, you think technology, you think website. We've kind of moved away from thinking website to what is the customer experience that we want users to attain from our brand, from our content, from our videos, and where are we sending them next? Right. Um, and we build our websites to move people from being inspired to planning their trip. And then we move those audiences from our platform to our partner platforms, whether they're um, airline partners or accommodation partners or on-ground experience um, partners so that they can convert. Um, and, and that's our goal. Uh, we, we need to move audiences in a way that allows the industry to convert. Um, it would be great to, for, for us to actually understand what do these new changes that are coming in Australia mean to how we bring audiences to, um, say, the Qantas website, right? Um, which is an Australian website, but also targeting Americans. Let's just go to cookies for a quick, uh, quickly because, um, as, as we talked about earlier in sale and mentioned, it's top of mind for many. When did cookies come on your radar? What have you been doing to sort of uh, mitigate for that? And uh, how does it fit into per what, what Alexander's talking about, the, a bigger data strategy and, and what you're gonna ch- what's going to change for you? So there's about 15 questions for, the, for you there, Paul. I don't know if you remember any of them, but good luck. Oh, thank you. Um, for cookies, and, and when it came onto market, we'd say about two, two years ago, um, when we were reviewing how we did transparency um, for GDPR and, and giving consent and creating consent management. Uh, and I wouldn't say we've got it great. We're not world leading yet. Um, our aim is to be world leading for the tourism industry. Um, but it, it meant we had to stop thinking of third party cookies and start thinking of our own data strategy and, and what we what we want to build as a, a customer ID. Um, we're on that journey. I think as Alex and, and many other brands are, um, we don't know where it's going to end up. Um, but we do know that we have to create that value exchange with our customers on why they will give us their first party data and what they will get in reward for it. You had your, I think, your strategy or how you're going to work through the cookie scenario into two parts. I think you had digital strategy and Digitas working through your tech stack and I think UM working on your media uh, strategy. What was the work that came out of that, Paul? The key, the key points there that said, right now we've got some direction. So, with both agencies working on, well, what what's going to happen in the media world, and what does that actually mean to our website personalization or our data capture processes, um, has funneled us into building a, a platform um, or, or what we're calling Tourism Australia's unique identifier. Um, so, it's a single ID um, that we will use for the replacement of third-party data and, in time, first-party cookies. Okay, and so what, just where are you on that timeline? How far are you along it? We are actually launching our POC in 
about three weeks. Uh, we're working with uh, Digitas, UM, Adobe, um, Tourism, um, Northern Territory, and South Australia. So we've got a group of um, partners and, and we're trying to understand the value exchange of the data between all of us, but what does that actually identify or look as an individual user and then what transparency can we actually give them and control of that data? Alexander, what TA is trying to do there, is that similar to what you've been doing or something different in terms of a unified ID? And, and I guess the CDP does that for you, the customer data platform would do a little bit of that for you? Yeah, um, at the end of the day, I think that um, if I'm really honest, the whole um, cookie topic has not really changed our strategy. And uh, it is just uh, solidifying that you have to have a good business and a good marketing strategy. And that always has been about whom do you talk to, when, with what, uh, and why. And at the end of the day, I have the feeling this is actually a really exciting time for marketing because it challenges you to be more creative, to be more strategic, um, to be more relevant, and not just um, try to... Uh, uh, harvest the the easy the low hanging fruit. You've said earlier that you think marketers got to, this has allowed marketers to get a bit lazy, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think that if you understand, look, none of the regulations that come now will um, change the world uh, uh, negatively because we're all in the same boat and all challenging the same. Uh, so all businesses will really have a level playing field. And what that means is that it's really like it has always been in human life and in, in society and in, in economics. It will always be the ones who are most creative, most innovative, and, and most relevant to consumers that will uh, do the right thing and, and subsequently survive and thrive. And so from that perspective, I think uh, we will see a lot of new solutions pop up. You know, there will definitely be proposed third-party player solutions that will try to work on a privacy-safe identifier approach so that ad placements in the digital space are still effective but conscious and, 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 and applicated in a safe way. I think we will see a movement from consumers to businesses uh, from a C2B point of view where, where there will be solutions that allow the consumer to really see the benefit of me giving data to a company that I'm incentivized to give to actually get a, a more targeted approach in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. So the, things will evolve and things will change. And I think from that perspective, uh, because it's a level playing field for everyone, it's not like that it's going to kill business or that it's going to kill industries fully because uh, there will always be space for innovation and there will always be space for creativity. And so from our point of view, um, even though we're a native pure player that has benefited a lot from this low-hanging fruit, We've been on this journey now for a longer time to, uh, uh, you know, great, create great experiences, to uh, have a good first-party data strategy, to make uh, smart data out of big data with our own, at our own hands, so to speak, and at the same time, then, um, uh, 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 you know, work smartly also with the small solutions you can fix here and there to work well in the sandbox environment from a targeting point of view. And it again, targeting is not going away. So we're going from a one-to-one -one targeting to a micro-segmented targeting approach that is still there and that is still possible. And so um, th there are a lot of things that are possible to consider. You know, contextual marketing 
uh, will become a lot more important again, which was always the case in the past. You thought about if it's about this print magazine or this uh, website, uh, if I target customers at, I don't know, Mamma Mia. They'll likely be women. Exactly. So so you, you, you think about the relevant audiences and you enter strategic partnerships. And, and, and so it's not like that all of a sudden everything changes. Yes, but the thing there, though, is interesting when you say that is like you start to enter into some strategic partnerships and you have some conversations. That does require a conversation, right? Whereas opposed to what we've got now is a lot of um, sort of automated tech that allows you to do does the, does the grunt work uh, without without those conversations. I do want to ask Paul as well. Um, so, so Alexander talked about uh, that cookies hasn't Paul changed the iconic strategy uh, per se. But I want to ask you: has has, has the cookie uh, issue changed your tactics and your execution and what you need to do to get to market? Well, will it? You know, what what is the what are the practical um, real life on the ground implications from a cookie change for you, uh, Paul at TA. I think that what Alex said before, um, the, 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 the change for us will, will be how we've become smarter in media, I mean, in creative and context will be king. Um, you know, we're, we're losing that ability to have millions of signals on millions of people, uh, all over the web. So it will be, it will be those strategic partnerships and, and ensuring that we're contextually relevant or um, we're impactful again. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're a little bit lucky as being Tourism Australia. We have an amazing product that as long as we bring to life the experiences and, and, and what it has to offer, we are impactful. But we do, do believe that if we get down to that segment level and, and those sandboxes, we believe those audiences will will become more expensive or those partnerships will become more costly. And when you have a finite budget and you're in a highly competitive industry, um, you know, cost and, and reach and engagement is key. Um, and, and when your costs go up and your engagement might not, you know, it's diminishing returns. When you're more expensive, you certainly want to hope there's more efficacy there for you, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would just say one other thing is Go, Alex. one of the things that we thought about in the journey uh, of our strategy, strategic development is also in the past, in the last decades with the low-hanging fruits, it was always about optimizing by every single channel. So in our case, it would be order optimization by channel. How do I get the most out of Google search? How do I get the most out of paid social? How do I get the most out of affiliates? How do I get the most out of display? But we realized at some point you need to shift that. If you really want to be successful long-term and develop audiences, you need to be channel agnostic. And in essence, what that means is you want to go from order optimization by channel to customer lifetime value optimization by customer cohort. And, and that journey is, is the one that we started on when it was about CDP and first-party data and all of that, is trying to really understand, okay, for you, Paul, you might want to get an email at this point in time with this kind of content, uh, which is more brand-related and story-related, whereas Alex needs it at this point in time and wants to have it more product-related and price-related. But when Alex goes on social, he's really interested in brand stories, whereas on social, Paul really reacts well to price and product. And so the, the journey to go from a optimization by channel to an optimization by consumer journey 
is, I think, the one that is really supported by this. And that um, that seems to sit with what you're talking about, Paul, right, with the sort of the customer experience uh, shift you've gone from sort of, you know, a digital strategy to customer experience and following them all the way through the journey. Does that, so is there a parallel there with what, what Alexander's talking about? There is. For us, that parallel is, is that journey um, and, and understanding it. But we look at marketing collectively for, for each campaign as, as optimizing the, the, the platform itself. Um, so each channel has a role to play with, within a campaign, whether it's broadcast, uh, print, um, TV, um, or, or digital integration. Collectively, they have to all work together. Um, they're the sum of the parts, not individual channels on their own being optimized on their own. So, Alexander, in terms of um, the, the impact that um, this is all going to have for digital marketing and marketers, by the way, you're changing up uh, strategically, but it does impact or does it impact pretty much everything? So if we think about performance marketing, personalization, segmentation, full funnel marketing, attribution, we haven't even touched on attribution yet, yeah. customer experience and brand building, contextual targeting versus behavioral, um, where do you start and and is, is all of that going to have an impact? Is that all going to be impacted, I should say? The two different views of what are impacted is the one is on reporting and aka attribution and the other one is on targeting. Those are the two big areas in essence. And on the reporting side, aka attribution, um, you will have basically less data and instead of one-to-one data, micro-segments. And in essence, that's the same on the targeting side where you can stitch less information together to get to the one level. Um, But the type of work that you do is still the same. Right you're still trying to target certain small segments. You're still trying to, you know, it's it's just a level of, of how high or deep do you go in that. But, but the type of work that you do as a marketeer, in essence, is still the same. You're still going to work with data. You're still going to work with technology. You're still trying to target uh, as much as you can. And you're still trying to uh, navigate in this modern world between data and purpose. Yeah. Uh, in essence. So I wouldn't say that it it will affect everything negatively. It's just affecting between reporting, aka attribution and targeting. Um, It will change some things, but your work will remain the same. Will the skill sets of your team need to change? The talent and skill sets change as a result of this? Not as a result. It, It might accelerate in how far it would have to change anyways. Because if the key differentiator in the future cannot be the ability to out-target anymore, you need to look at uh, the completeness of how you approach marketing. Mm. And I think this is the one thing that, as we spoke about before with the low-hanging fruit, um, marketing teams were were able to only be digital, as an example. The reason why Mark Ritson is a thing is because of that. Mm. Um, uh, this is gold theoretically for Mark Ritson's message because it is really fostering you to become complete in marketing, to start with a strategy, to be full funnel on the back of a strategy by applying the tactics once you've understood strategy well. But I would say in the last 20 years, maybe digital was the differentiator. The differentiator of the future is going to be creativity. Paul, I also want to ask you around how big you think the impacts are. Uh, does it pretty much affect everything? Performance marketing, what we talked about before, performance marketing, personalization, segmentation, full funnel marketing, attribution, customer experience. 
and on. We talked about contextual versus behavioural the other day as well. Um, how much of what what is going on with cookies and then beyond impacts what you what what you're doing at TA? I, I think the the effects um, we're still fully un, uh, unaware of how big the ripple effects will be as an industry. We're all planning for for these effects based on what we know today. But what we know today, as, as we saw Google made an announcement last week, they're making changes and, and they're making updates to what they're saying, you know, their product or, or their platform will, will allow us as, as marketers to do. So we're, we're still planning for the unknown at times. Um, and, and, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, a business that is taking the customer first approach and, and trying to understand what, what is the customer need, when we look at the changes that are happening, what does that actually mean for for the end user, because the internet is a free platform that that the the relationship of free is ads, uh, targeting, um, uh, contextual um, content. Does that all change, um, or, or is that all contained in a wall garden? And if we look to how we work with our uh, platforms and partners in in China, China is made up of some very, very big wall gardens, Tencent, uh, Mafengwei, Alibaba. Um, all of those create big ecosystems of data and user experience and content. Um, and you can target and, and drive awareness or, or, or create engagement within those platforms, but they stay in those platforms. That's the challenge Australia hasn't had to really deal with. We've had Facebook and Google um, who are both really big behemoths, but big enough to where there were still other ways of getting news publications or um, you take Mamma Mia, um, you know, it was a blog and now it's this, this, this behemoth of amazing content. We, we've never had to go, well, how do we do duplication or deduplication? Because there's always been a tech solution for that. Um, but when we look at China, there hasn't been a tech solution. It's 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 very different. So China's, I would imagine, then means that you, what you're talking about there, if it happens in Australia, or that's the, they're the guideposts, more complexity, right? There's a lot more complexity, and you, as a as a, as a brand and a marketer, trying to juggle three, four different platforms with different databases and and matching and targeting, and it gets messy. It does very messy. The question you asked Alex about what's the future um, of, of marketing and Will skills uh, evolve with, with, within the iconic? I strongly believe they will. I, I strongly believe we will we'll go back to some very smart marketeers, uh, not just digital channel performance managers. We, we will look at how creative and channel come together that is highly impactful, highly relevant to an audience based on context. If we look at website development, you know, you used to have a, a back end and then a front end, and, and the holy grail was this full stack engineer, um, whose whose weight is worth you know as much gold as we could find. But today, I think we we've lost that in marketing because we've played with the low hanging fruit and the the easy wins, and, and we've got away with it for so long. And I think the change is only going to be for the better of advertising um, and, and the better. Brands will, will will stand tall, stand true, and and actually create cut through. Um, and and we'll look at how digital actually, as a channel, can stand up to how um, it was in, in its infancy and in its beginning with with good brands doing amazing stuff to 
to, to, to engage consumers. And that engagement is key um, and, and driving it for brands such as the iconic or such as tourism Australia only helps solidify that brand experience and that brand um, essence. Well, we were laughing, we were laughing, um, well, laughing or, or something uh, the other day when we we're talking about this. And, and you were saying, when we we're talking about this contextual versus behavioral targeting, and obviously there's this whole uh, digital marketing community that's been sort of a, a specialist in a really narrow lane, but they're good at it, but it's very tactical. But then going back to what you were saying, and, you know, you're marginally old enough to be around in the early days of, of, of the internet, Paul, and, and you're saying there that that was, I mean, the, everything then was about contextual targeting. We're going back to that, you know, we're going back 20 years to what, what, what it started. Give us your sense on that. And I think going back's not a bad thing. Back then we were innovative, we were creative, we, we looked at this channel as new. Um, I think the difference between going back is we now have people who are running businesses that are digital smart. Uh, we've got CMOs that are bridging the gap to CTO or CIO um, and CFOs that are stepping into digital uh, CDO roles. and. and and really understanding the website isn't something in the in the corner anymore. Um, customer experience is everywhere. It, it's not just the the tangible product you buy in a store. It's it's the journey to get that product. Um, and, and I think it's exciting. Um, I, I know these changes are hard. I think as businesses, we're looking at well, it, it means we have to have a succinct, streamlined customer data strategy that's a supported by technology that's supported by very smart people but they're the enablers for us to do really smart creative digital advertising again that's essentially your point right it's sort of got a bit it's gone a bit wayward there but yes so Salo, we've heard from the marketers and how they're dealing strategically and tactically on this but there's still this really interesting we talked about it earlier we, this is really interesting sort of gap in understanding about what is coming from the regulatory side for industry it might be here it might be the ACCC and what the federal government wants to do and a whole bunch of things so is there any warning lights that are, that, that are coming at marketers that they should know on the regulatory and compliance front over and above this cookie conversation we're having uh, Sala? while considering the options for for cookies You've also had to look at your digital advertising services and how you can be more transparent. A really big part of transparency, quite often it's construed to be negative. So I think the best way to understand it, you and I had a discussion the other day where we spoke about does a marketer need to get into the weeds? And I feel it's about asking the right questions. If a marketer understands what kind of questions they need to ask in order to be able to report back up to the board, now the marketers are going to be asked by their board. Um, what does this regulation change mean? How does that affect our company? So the best way to do it is to understand, have the conversations and to have the cross-departmental, um, cross-functional conversations. So I think in that regard, the CMO needs to to educate themselves. So what are, what are you doing? You know, what's the sense with your ADMAR members, Sala, in terms of their, their understanding of, of the regulatory risk or what's coming with the changes to regulation anyway? Is it there? It can't not be there because the word privacy is every second word, right. I think. So there is definitely an understanding of the risk. But I think there's varying levels of the understanding. Regulation, there's privacy, there's, you know, there's a whole lot of different areas that they need to be understanding how they overlap. And at the end of the day, what we found was no marketer really wants to sit and have to go through legislation. I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer and I don't <laughs> necessarily want to read it. Yes. What ADMA's trying to do is provide marketers with a toolkit, a toolkit that really 
kind of prepares them, allows them to to understand what really matters for their own business. And that's kind of that's the sort of work you're doing. You've got some masterclasses and so on. Yeah, there's masterclasses being put right. together right now by Adma, and it's cross-functional to make sure that because teams, as I mentioned, teams need to talk. Mm. And at the end of the day, deliver the business what what it needs. What about this this issue around skills and skill sets? And you know, we've heard both Paul and Alexander talk about how there's been you've essentially had really tight performance digital specialists that have just been really designed. They're there and they're optimizing hard against the channel they're working in, and that's what they've called that's what they know as marketing, and that's what we call part of marketing. But they're saying. This, this whole thing changes skill sets. Do you think, will everyone become more holistic as a marketer? Absolutely. The individuals that, that want to educate themselves and upskill to better understand the environments that they're, that they're operating in and to be able to understand how to navigate. You have to learn as you go. But if you can stop and understand the situation that you're in at the level that you need to, then you're able to quickly change tact if you have to. And the only way to do that is to upskill. Great point, Sala. The The final question is, um, what advice would you give to your, your marketing peers right now? Alexander, you first. So in general, my advice for marketeers in this day and age is learn to talk like a CFO, think like a CTO or CIO, and act like a CMO. So bring the passion and the creativity of the what we've normally associated with the CMO role bring the the numbers and the commercial acumen from the CFO and bring the agile and technology and data understanding of a CTO. With that, you can really become, um, in essence, a, a great marketing leader in the future. And so I would say fear not these developments, rather utilize them as an acceleration point to a more complete and holistic and strategic and creative approach to marketing that understands that your differentiator in the future cannot be the ability to out-target. Great points. And and I've got to ask this question for yourself then. Uh, how much of a fused beast are you between a CTO, CIO and a CMO right now, Alexander? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the journey. Yes. Well, well, there are different capabilities, but to be honest with you, you, look, you can learn skills. And at the end of the day, I would say the one thing that technology and data in the last 20 years has taught us is that you can make data your friend. And technology is also a gift. And the gift is it connects people. It goes back to what marketing in its first instance is actually about. It's driving human connectivity. It's telling stories. It's about convincing someone else to work together on something or do something. And so if you think about where mar- what marketing was born out of, it came out of storytelling that is older than the spoken word. And so technology and data can be seen really as, a, as an accelerator or a, a positive tool to drive human connectivity. And I think it's important to 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 understand that and make that work for you in a data-driven world and and as a marketeer that want, wants to be successful in a data-driven world, you need to be able to talk numbers and you need to understand how to work with data and you need to utilize technology for the benefit of everyone, you know, the benefit of your business, but also the benefit of your partners, but also the benefit of your customers, which also comes with a privacy safe space, for example, if that's important to them. And so, and that's where I think uh, this expression comes from, that you should, you know, also be able to talk like a CFO and, and think like a CTO, because it's about driving human connectivity in a modern world. Paul, um, final one from you. What would be your sort of top couple of points of, of, of advice for your marketing peers in both the cookie and beyond? What should, be, what should be top of mind for them? 
I, I think bring the customer to the heart and focus on transparency. Transparency uh, around what we mean by first-party data or first-party cookie and, and that value exchange for your customer needs to be clear and concise and easy. That should help set you up in the future for whatever regulation comes, whether it's in Australia or if it is in you know, other regions of the world. Uh, but, but bring the cu customer to the heart of what you're trying to solve for and, and the rest should just come, come easy. It's really interesting that you actually sound quite upbeat and optimistic through the carnage and chaos that I'm trying to work out. Um, you're actually sort of upbeat about what could be and what should be as a result of this. It's, it's, that, that's unusual. Probably haven't heard that yet, that, that optimism. <laughs> I think in the long run, when, when, when it comes out in the wash, uh, we'll, we'll all be smarter for what we do. So there needs to be some optimism in the guardrails. Um, otherwise, we're looking at it the wrong way around. So Sala Fernando, Alexander Meyer, Paul Bailey, great conversation. I'm more informed for it. And I think this is exactly the sort of discussion the industry needs to have. So hope to have you back and a bit of, a, a bit of an update, both on where the cookie stuff's going, but also regulatory Sala, because that is huge in my view. I think it's still underplayed. I think you're onto something and we need to do a little bit more on that. Thanks for joining. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Listener.